Hello, Ray Hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world podcast takes the date. We're here from the salubrious confines of LA's most secretive recording studio, the Corpus of Fruititude, or the Fortress of Privitude, if you will, located somewhere. In the highlands of Hollywood, uh, near the Grovelands of Hollywood, near the marshlands of Hollywood. If you hear sounds behind us, it's that we're being, uh, well, we're in the uh, bus and truck company of the War of the Worlds next door. So you hear booming and odd squelching and squealing noises. That's the aliens as Jennifer and I prepare for the final assault. And as you know, only microbes can take them down. And that's what we're doing. We're brewing up a bunch in our basement. And by the way, if the El Nino comes again uh, and the rain pours up, be careful. Uh, If you live in Los Angeles, believe it or not, uh, places in LA have basements, kind of. Not like basements in the movies, like you know, like if you're in a movie and uh, uh, Ida Lupino's in it or whatever, and they go downstairs and people are putting up like apples in jars or whatever, and uh, uh, and and there's an old uh, uh, sled like in Citizen Kane and whatnot. No, this is California basements aren't like that. Uh, LA basement is got a water heater in it and dead rats from years past and uh, screens to the outside and sometimes people. Uh, that you find who are living under there if they can find their way under. Uh, there's no coziness to it. There's no quilts stored down there as far as I know. I have a Willie Mays video uh, that I keep, and I mean video. No, do you mean DVD, Greg? Do you mean downloadable memory stick? I don't. I mean a video. Uh, it's not a one-inch reel-to-reel or anything, but it is a, a VHS video from the 80s that I bought. Uh, there's a place called Rare Sports Films, and I used to buy all kinds of videos. In fact, there still is a place called Rare Sports Films. Are they one of the sponsors? No, they're not. Let's not talk about them anymore. But the point is this. The only people you let into your basement in Los Angeles are people who are going to fix the water heater after it's burst. And when we had our last giant storm here, um, we had to install a pump in the basement. And uh, so hilariously, and now follow me on this if you can. There's a pump in our basement that if the rain comes in too hard is going to kick in automatically and save my house. Now, I have so little faith in technology to begin with that a machine that was put in, I don't know, we're going on 10 years now. Uh, that long ago that I've never checked, nor do I know how it works in any way, uh, is going to save the house. And I'm, I'm glad about that. By the way, the last giant flood we had in L.A. was, I believe, the same year as the tsunami. So if you didn't read about our flood, you know what? That's just media bias. I was thinking about something. Really? Where? In your brain? No, in someone else's brain. I don't have room in mine anymore. Uh, I believe it was the Beastie Boys who said, if I had a penny for my thoughts, I'd be a millionaire. Um, I got a book from a friend of mine, and it's called Imperial Rome, and it's one of the Time Life classic books. Uh, This is the classic ages of man. Um, I think it was published in 1965, so it's not full of facts or anything like that, which is what makes it great as a history book. It's also got loads of pictures and bad renderings and whatnot and photographs. Uh, And I had these books when I was a kid. Um, my grandfather gave me all of them. I had ancient Imperial Rome, classical Greece. Uh, then there was uh, one that was called, uh, there was the nature series. One was called the sea and it had like a picture of a shark or a whale on the cover. Uh, and then there was like, uh, all the different countries of the world had them. I don't think people buy time life books. Do buy people buy time life books anymore? I remember I had to sell them for the, the worst temp job I've ever had in my entire fucking life. Um, really the worst? No. The worst one was, uh, I think I told you about that one. I had to put flyers on doors, but I didn't do it. And then they gave you a bunch of time magazines to deliver to along with the, your flyer duties. So I took all the flyers and I threw them in a, a grocery cart and I dumped them in a ravine in San Carlos, California, where to my, the best of my knowledge, they still are. <laughs> 
and uh, I did deliver the Time magazines because I knew they'd catch me out if I didn't. So I goes in to get my paycheck, which, by the way, was somewhere in the neighborhood of $20, right? And the dude in the purple fucking sweater had the nerve to ask me if I threw all my things away, uh, flyers. And I went, no, of course I didn't. He went, yeah, you did because we fucking found them, Greg. And I was like, well, then I guess I'm out of a job, right? I was uh, insolent. I hated the job so much. The, uh, imagine, well, you don't have to imagine. Uh, many of you are uh, economically disadvantaged. That's why you're listening to my show. I, I, I speak to the people who are riding the rails around this great country, uh, um, you know, uh, sawing down a stick, whittling a stick so they can pick their teeth with it as they kick a can along the road carrying a bindle stiff. Because I'm broadcasting in the 30s, and uh, I want you to know that I think Preston Sturgis is a marvelous director. And uh, I think Claudette Colbert's hot. I'll be honest. Anyway, uh, th- this is uh, this is what this is the best part of this book. It's a, one of those giant coffee table type things, and there's not there's text in it, but really it's all about the pictures and the captions. When I was little, I don't think I ever read the text. Uh, and then, fantastically, if you'll notice in this part, as I show it to Ryan and Jennifer, and you don't get to see it, this is um, how they they made war. The Romans they built siege towers, and it's the gladiators. I mean, the um, centurions and whatnot attacking. But what they've done here, because there was no actual pictures, if you can notice there, Jennifer and Ryan, they've put toy soldiers and it's toys. So there's a toy siege tower and it appears that they have actually set fire in the back to one of the toys to indicate. And then they've made a bunch of uh, centurions uh, who are clearly plastic uh, toy soldiers. Uh, and that's how they illustrate. Of course, when I was little, I never noticed any of that. I loved it anyway. It was like the TV show, The Time Tunnel. Um, in any case, the, the author, the late Moses Hadass. So how long had he been dead by the time they went to press with this? If in the beginning of the book, at the friend's piece, it says the late Moses Hadass, long regarded as one of America's foremost authorities in the ancient world, began teaching at Columbia University in 1925. Holy kittens. His books include Hellenic culture, Ancilla to classical reading, and humanism, as well as editions of works by Tacitus and Cicero. Dr. Hadass' frequent radio and television appearances brought him a wide audience both within and outside the academic community. Well, he died before this book was published in 1965. It doesn't have the list of the other books, but I wish it did. This one's part of the Great Ages of Man series. And you know that it was written by older white guys because they think that Imperial Rome was one of the Great Ages of Man. Oh, here it is. The Life World Library, the Life Nature Library, Time Reading, Life Science... The Life History of the United States. That had to be some, something to gorge on. When the white man freed the slaves, the Negro was sullen and uncommunicative for months. No gratitude did they show. Chapter 4. Women were finally granted the right to vote by white men. But oh, they'd been starving themselves and sticking their fingers down their throat in all manner of unpleasantness. <laughs> uh, the Life Library of Art. Hmm. All right. Well, in any case, what are you going through all of this for? Because I'm at the part in the book where, excitingly, the empire's taken root, right? And we got it, we've gone through Augustus and Tiberius, and now we've uh, passed Caligula. And by the way, Caligula gets two fucking sentences in this book, Professor Hadass. Uh, I take exception. Tiberius was succeeded by his grandnephew, Caligula. The new emperor was at first hailed as a popular hero. He pardoned political offenders, banished informers, reduced taxes, and sponsored lavish games. Games means death. Games means animals 5,000 sometimes in a day being killed in the Colosseum and condemned criminals because that was their favorite uh, 
uh, type of gladiatorial fight uh, because condemned criminals were going to die anyway. So you might as well teach them how to fight, give them a uniform or a lance or a trident or a net, just like in the movie, just like in the Russell Crowe movie. Um, nothing in that movie is factual except that the outfits that they wear when they're the gladiators because they wear greaves on their ankles and one arm's armored and they play with those short swords, right? And the training school and everything. They really did go through all of that just to kill people every day in the Coliseum for people's entertainment. And by the way, women sat upstairs. Uh, but they had they had ushers and they had um, uh, snack stands, whatnot. Well, snack stands. I don't think the Romans packs snacks stands uh the new emperor was the first but caligula soon carried the limitless powers of the princeps beyond all bounds all right so when do we get to the good part he claimed the right to be addressed as a god and proposed that his horse be elected consul um i always uh, enjoyed that uh fact whether it's not true at all or not because uh, i used to do a joke and i still do occasionally in my act because my act is updated frequently uh, and I say our previous president to Obama, Caligula, and everybody laughs. And I, I'm so – I think Caligula would be ecstatic to know that he still recognizes a name by a literate American crowd in the year 2015. And then the next joke is, yes, we're lucky he didn't appoint a horse to the Senate before he left. And a couple of people always laugh at that too. But everyone knows who Caligula is, which is very gratifying to me. Uh, he claimed – why is it so gratifying? Only in, in so much as it's a, a touchstone of culture, not, not that the actual person Caligula is someone I venerate and hold in high regard. However, this book short skimps you so fucking hard because it's for kids. He claimed the right to be addressed to God. He outfitted the animal for office by giving it a marble stall and purple blankets. Um, his cruelty and caprice bordered on madness and outraged all of Rome. Um, he slept with men and women. He fucking – was the biggest pervert that ever lived. I think he had a spirochete in his brain or something awful because he, he went mad uh, real early uh, on. Um, uh, this, this doesn't get into any of the salacious goodness. There's another book that's all salacious goodness. Um, we know Caligula and Nero because we know that um, Nero used to roll the streets at night with his gang and beat up guys and shit like that. And they dressed as prostitutes. Nero gave concerts with his lyre, and no one was allowed to leave. And that brings me to the point here. I've got Jennifer and Ryan trapped here in the porpoise, and I've got a lot of you trapped out there, whether you're on the metro in Paris or whether you're riding the tube in London or whether you're riding the Gishanta in uh, Vygodansk or whether you're just wandering around South America in a daze looking for a capybara. Uh, you've got to understand that you're trapped right now with me. And this is what the quote from Suetonius, and this is about regarding Nero. Nero stomped uh, Pompeia to death. Um, he had his mother, Agrippina. He tried to kill her 10 different ways. And um, at one point when they were trying to kill her, she said, let me die, just let him rule, right? Agrippina poisoned uh, uh, Claudius, right? He was, she was like Claudius' fourth wife. But she fucking wanted Nero, who was his nephew, to be uh, emperor so bad and not his son, Britannicus. And Britannicus... Uh, in any case, this is a good one here. Nero arranged for the ceiling to fall over Agrippina's bed to collapse. When this failed, he sent her cruising in a ship constructed so it fell apart, but she swam ashore. Finally, Nero took direct action. He accused her of plotting against the emperor and had her assassinated. And that's where the quote supposedly comes from. When they came into the room, the swarm her, she recognized what was happening and she went, let me die, just let him rule. Nero had always fancied himself an artist and insisted on giving public performances. This is getting a little too close to home. 
in which, but let's look at the differences, Greg. He was emperor of an empire with 50 million people that spanned all the way from the Euphrates to uh, the, the reaches of England. And you are in the Porpoise of Fruititude, assailed on all sides by z- zombies and uh, Martians who you're fighting off. And that's where all the booming noises come from. Yeah, but my ego is almost at a level with his. And I have more hair. Uh, insisted on giving public performances in which he sang and played the lyre. Roman traditionalists were outraged. It was a scandal for a nobleman to be seen on the stage. Well, imagine how my family felt. Nero, unabashed, made attendance compulsory. Uh, quote, while he was singing, Suetonius wrote, no one was allowed to leave the theater, even for the most urgent reasons. And so it is said that some women gave birth to children there, while others in the audience feigned death and were carried out as if for burial. <laughs> What I'm saying is, say you're listening to this in your classroom, say you're in your blanket fort, uh, say you're in Finland and you're uh, riding a caribou, whatever it is, um, if you can't get out of this, it's time to pretend you're dying and leave. Leave the premises. There's only one way out of this proof cast. Uh, Well, there's two ways. You could stop uh, the device you're playing. I was going to say the MP3 device, but then I remembered it wasn't 2004. No, it's not vodka. It's iced tea, sadly. Uh, we, uh, uh, we're, we were given a, an assignment by Brian last week uh, of the, the Proop Dog administration, what would happen if I was president, if I ruled the world as um, – was it LL Cool J who sang If I Ruled the World or was it uh, um, Cool Modi? I think I'm getting them both wrong. I'll just look that up. I have an internet here. It was the Nas, right? The Nas. He said it. He had the, the jam if I ruled the world, right? Are we really going to take time out to look? I'm trying to listen. It was the Nas. Oh, and this one's featuring Lauren Hill. Do we say the Nas? Is that how it was? Just Nas. Nas. Right. The Nas is uh, Lord Buckley's version of Jesus. I'm saying the Nas the because of that. It's actually Nas. Um, here it is. Life, I wonder, will it take me under? I don't know. Imagine smoking weed in the streets without cops harassing. Imagine going to court with no trial. Lifestyle cruising blue Bahama waters. No welfare supporters more conscious of the way we raise our daughters. Days are shorter, nights are colder. Feeling like life is over. These snakes strike like a cobra. The, yeah, that's a goodie. Uh, this one's somehow the one on whatever here is uh, got Lauren Hill in it as well. Um But in any case, the premise was, what if I ruled the United States? Well, ruled, as you know, George Bush, when he was president, George W. Bush said that he was the ruler as well as the commander guy and the decider, I believe, were the three, my three favorites. Commander guy was awesome because that's like, what if you were in Clash of the Titans or uh, what was the one that had Lion-O and all those characters in the 80s? The um, Thundercats. The commander guy would be someone who would fight the Thundercats. Uh, the decider, uh, Bill Maher, had a big go at, so I'll leave that one alone. But again, as I said at the time, the decider is something a five-year-old would be embarrassed to call themselves. Even five-year-olds know that they're not the decider. Someone asked him about the war in Iraq, and he said, I'm the commander guy. And you're like, really? You don't have a funny hat, so I don't see how you qualify. Most people who are the commander guy, um, in my recollection, when um, children were delusional when I was little, they would, um, there was a kid in my apartment building. I lived in Van Nuys for like two weeks when I was little. And there was a kid in my apartment building who wore a towel around his neck with a clothes, a safety pin on it. And when he came up to me, he went, I'm Superman. And I'm like, well, clearly you're not, but I'll play along to see how this goes out. You know, maybe something will happen, you know. 
But then, of course, he wasn't Snooperman. He didn't wear shoes, and he had, I'll say it now, snot running out of his nose all the time. And so I was kind of repulsed by him. I can't remember his name for the life of me. But if I rule the world, I'm going to find that kid, and I'm going to make sure he puts shoes on. Um, But my recollection is if you were delusional when you were little, you had to back it up with a cape. Or and like now there's animal hats. We didn't have the fun animal hats the kids have now. But now a kid can walk around and go, I'm a shark all day long and then actually be wearing a shark outfit. Whereas when we were little, it was, I'm Superman. And it's like, that's a beach towel. <laughs> uh, the last four, just to catch you up on my, the changes I would make. Day one, uh, equal rights amendment. Day two, cut defense budget by half. All the money goes to welfare. Day three, yeah, you heard me, welfare. That's right. I want the poor to get all the money from the Defense Department. But they're cheating. Really? As much as fucking IBM and General Electric and all the arms dealers are cheating? Believe me, the arms dealers are cheating a lot more than any group of poor people that ever got together and be that organized. Day three, the Justice Department to stop police brutality effective immediately. Day four, we go after the banks, the mortgage brokers, and Wall Street with full force. That means putting them in prison and finding them punitively. That means putting them in prison and finding them punitively. If I could go Caligula or Nero on their ass, I would put them in public stocks and let people throw food at them like they did in the good old days of the founding fathers of this country. In, this, in the 17th century in this country, if you transgressed, you were put in the town square, feet and hands sometimes, through the stocks and head, and your ass hung out the other way, and people could come by, and dogs urinated on you, and people threw food at you all the fucking time. Uh, I'm not saying we should bring it back. I think it's cruel and unusual punishment. But then I think the death penalty is cruel and unusual punishment, particularly in states where they give people injections and the people don't die right away. I really can't think of a worse or more cruel or unusual punishment. Uh, Did I mention that we would abolish the death penalty? I'm adding that one. All right, I'll add that at the bottom. But just to catch you up, uh, that's where we were. Then the fifth one was um, uh, go after the banks. Day five, we drink. Uh, Day seven, bathe in hatred being poured on me. Uh, day eight, mobilize the army to keep the white supremacists from blowing up the White House. You see, what, it, you make these changes, things are going to happen. Uh, so I'm going to take you to where we are now, which is day 34. Day 33 was, by the way, national anthem replaced by Aretha Franklin song. And we picked who's zooming who last week. But you can choose any Aretha Franklin song you like. I'm going to leave the anthem open. Uh, whatever song you want, as long as it's by Aretha Franklin. Day 30, right, so you could go to, say you're at a ball game, and as you know, there's nothing more patriotic than going to a sporting event. Say you go to a sporting event, and they go, will you please rise and join in singing the national anthem? And then everybody goes, the moment I wake up, before I put on my makeup, I say a little prayer for you, right? That would be a lot funner, don't you think? Then, uh... Then the bombs bursting in air, the conclusion of the thing, then or the night, the thing, and the white people were there. And, uh, God, the anthem is dreary. Really dreary. It's like homework. It's just a fucking drag. Day 34 uh, of my, of the Pruptarian reign of, uh, this is when the Pruptilians take over from the Prupnicians. Free condoms at high schools. Couldn't you go a little earlier, Greg? Mm, if you need him. Let's say we'll hand him out at fifth grade. I just don't want to encourage anything. Day 35, National Child Abuse Hotline. Day 36, Sunday is free for kids to get into sporting events. That's all sporting events. Uh, I mean, the National Football League, the National Hockey League, the P- Professional Golf Association, which no children follow at all unless their parents are uh, complete fascists. I'm saying... 
that instead of giving 50 tickets to a bunch of poor kids and making them sit in center field once a week, that the professional sports teams could do a lot better and let children in to see the games free because that is how they hook you as a child. They hook you as a child and then they have you the rest of your life. It's like heroin. Uh, or do I mean opium? It, is religion the opium of the masses or is heroin the opium of religious people? I can never remember. Karl Marx said something. It was either Karl Marx or Chico Marx. And I can never remember which one it was. It was Chico Marx who said everybody knows there's no sanity clause. Uh, Sunday is free for kids to get into sporting events. Yeah, that's right. That's two edicts, but rolled into one. Day 37, a build a barrier around the perimeter of the District of Columbia to stop angry white people from launching a full-scale attack on my administration. Day 38, new cabinet departments, cabinet of child affairs, cabinet of women's affairs, department of Latino affairs, department of black people's affairs, department of Asian people's affairs, department of LGBT affairs. Yeah, you see what I did? I raised everyone's issue up to the cabinet level. So instead of just having one shitty, awful, irrelevant cabinet official in charge of health, education, and welfare, and another terrible cabinet official in charge of the interior um, I'm breaking it up so that you will be able to petition someone, hopefully of your own ilk or creed, right? But isn't that being, uh, aren't you, it's like voting for someone just because they're a woman. Really? Is voting for uh, uh, Donald Trump just because he's a man? Is that why you're doing it? Day 39, are you accusing me of voting for Donald Trump? Yes. And what really fucks me off about the people who are voting for Donald Trump that are listening to the show is a lot of you live overseas. Uh, day 39, formal apology to Iraq and Afghanistan. Day 40, tax code simplified. Here's how it's simplified. The 1% pay everything. They have all the money. Therefore, they should pay all the money. Day 41, we rest. Day 42, every Saturday a national dance is thrown for everyone to attend in every state capital. That's right. But I don't want to go to Olympia, Washington. Well, you have to. I can't have one everywhere. I don't want to go to... I forgot the capital of Nevada and... I forgot the uh, Carson City. Carson City, yeah. Capital cities tend to be a little decrepit. and way In the South, no. The capital city is usually the biggest city. But in California, everyone's like, I'm not going to Sacramento for a weekly dance. You can have one anywhere you like. I'm just saying that there'll be an official one in every city. What do you mean by a national dance? I mean, someone gets up and fucking plays a... a, a you know, uh, what's that one by Will Smith and shit? I'm getting jiggy with it. And, you know, and then everybody gets out and we all spray hoses on each other and shit. That kind of thing. Uh, uh, hot dogs, if you're a vegetarian, tofu dogs. Uh, 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 you know, and, and everybody fucking has to get along for five fucking minutes. That's what I mean. I mean, if you have a barbecue and play music and there's beer and shit, people tend to generally be friendlier to one another. It's when you go, those people who live over there are so different than us, I could never relate to them in any way. That's when all the trouble starts. And then Missouri is begun. Let's have a new Missouri compromise that we'll have a barbecue in Missouri. In, in, yes, in Jefferson City, because that's where it'll be. Uh, day 43, upon birth, you are registered to vote and issued a passport for life. Okay, that, that takes care of all the voting rolls, takes care of voter registration. Uh, yes, you still have to learn how to drive a car to get a license. I didn't give you a license when you were born. You get a passport, okay? That means you don't have to go ask for one. You don't have to petition the government for one. They can't take it away from you. But what about people who violate the law? Oh, you mean like the last five million administrations of this country and all the senators? Um, yeah, they should get chased. Day 44, all arms sales by the government, uh, all the uh, revenue from arms sales uh, by the government must go to charity. Uh, 
That's right. The United States government sells arms to police departments all over the country. The reason why Ferguson PD had all that giant half tracks and armored vehicles and bazookas and everything is it's rummage sale stuff from the U.S. government. On top of that, the U.S. government, along with France and Russia and China and England, uh, are the chief arms salesmen of the world. And then you wonder why arms proliferate everywhere and why ISIL or ISIS or whatever you wish to call them and um, why the Russian government, why uh, all these wars being fought in the Sudan and everywhere. Uh, oh my God, how come they have red-eye rocket launchers and they can take down planes? Because we sold them to them. That's why. Um, uh, you'd think they'd want to see the receipt. Uh, day 45, free high-speed internet for everyone in all public places. That's right. Free high-speed internet for all in public places. And I'm going to put a 45A adjunct to this. I don't want to hear telecommunication companies' ads anymore. I'm barring them from advertising. I don't want to see any more Time Warner ads where a fresh-faced white guy hops out of a clean van and rings on the doorbell and then puts your shit in in 10 minutes smiling because I've never met anyone who worked for one of those companies that wasn't a fucking fresh out of jail fucking degenerate who I wouldn't let anywhere near a schoolyard, much less my own home, to put in fucking wires in my house. Are you impugning everyone who installs cable? Yes. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, uh, I, need, uh, I need to get my uh, internet upgraded. When can the guy come by? Um, can you be home tomorrow between 6 in the morning and the next vernal equinox? That's what I'm talking about. Um, and if you go to places like, oh, I don't know, Europe, which is a beautiful, beautiful city near England. Um, Jennifer and I have been to uh, France, Dutch, a lot of the countries there. When you're walking down the street in France or Holland, or, or, or I've talked about Finland, in Finland, shit downloads so fast that your phone gets hot. There's free Wi-Fi for everyone all the time. Yes, you heard me. Free Wi-Fi for everyone. But what about the free market system? It's been leveraged so that only a few people win. That's why I don't believe in it. Uh, but aren't you a free agent who runs around the world trying to get pay? Uh, everything's not about money, Okay. Uh, day 45, free high-speed internet. Day 46, an Aerosmith statue erected. <laughs> and when it's unveiled, this will be the song I shall insist upon. This next part of the song might be the best minute of rock in the history of rock. And I'm not kidding. How are you going to back that up, Greg? Just trust me. The reason why Aerosmith needs a statue is the Rolling Stones are English. So we can't give them a statue. They've already got one. But Aerosmith needs a statue for this part of the song alone. Yeah, follow that, motherfucker. Um... Steven Tyler's like your Italian dinosaur friend that you don't have anymore. I don't know if you've seen what he's been wearing lately. He just continues to be awesome in every conceivable way. 
they're not even my favorite group. And I, I and you know how I feel about Boston. Speaking of which, I'm going to be playing Boston soon, so I can't wait to see all of you there. Uh, but I've seen Steven Tyler once at the Hard Rock Cafe in uh, Hollywood, Florida. He, they were giving him a plaque or something, and he wore like this fruit and toot and white fucking outfit, and he had a scarf and a hat. He was just like Garbo, and uh, and they gave him the thing, and he went ah like that, and I was like fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, if you don't think Aerosmith needs a statue, I don't know what the fuck's wrong with you. This song is particularly awful. Maybe the statues. Let's a statuette. No, it has to be a whole statue. This song I listen to every day in high school. Really, Greg? You really let us send you some insight into your adolescent mind. Tubes World Tour by The Tubes. Fool for the City by Foghat. This is early high school. Uh, Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. And um, uh, Once Bitten Twice Shy by Ian Hunter. These were all in heavy rotation. Um, but this is when Aerosmith reaches out and talks about being a cowboy. Just You can feel the Old West. What if the Old West was peopled with monkeys who went to saloons? Then they would screech like this. By the way, the name of that album is Aerosmith Rocks. In case you were thinking of an album for your group and you didn't know what to call it or whatever. They didn't spend a lot of time on it, but they did think of it. Uh, Day 47, James Brown, Nina Simone, and Ray Charles' birthday national holidays. Day 48, all car racing band. I mean, I know you're going to say, Greg, you always shit on something I love. I love NASCAR. I had people write me after the last NASCAR diatribe and go like, I love your show and I love NASCAR. You know what? I love you for loving me. And I hate myself for loving you. And I hate Joan Jett for writing that song for, because I can never think of anything else whenever it comes up. But the point is this. Um, it's wasteful. Car racing is wasteful. Um, couldn't you watch water polo or something? Isn't water polo wasteful? You live in a drought area, Greg. Um, I don't know. I just, I've been to car races. I saw Paul Newman race. Really? Yeah. Uh, in the 80s, like 82, 83, we went to um, Sears Point outside of uh, San Francisco. Are you going to talk into your glass during this whole story? Yeah, I might give a little extra extra effect. And um, we all, uh, the, all the racers, this was Sports Car Club of America. And uh, all the racers, you could walk around their cars and whatnot in the infield. You know, like they had their formula cars and you could just hang around and they all had trailers and whatnot. But they had put a little cordon around Paul Newman's car and him and Joanne Woodward were inside their trailer. And then he came out to get in his car and everybody got a glimpse of him. And of course, everybody's pressed up against the thing. And then he put his helmet on and whatever. And I watched him race and he finished seventh. And I'm not saying he's not a good actor. He should have got the actor for the uh, best uh, actor, the Oscar for best actor for The Hustler. In, or maybe even HUD, which he's not, not terrible in. Uh, or the, my favorite performance of his is uh, the Warrior one, which I'm blanking on now. It's in the book. Verdict. The Verdict, which is he's superb in. Instead, he got it for The Color of Money because it was one of those consolation Oscars. And The Color of Money is an entertaining film. There's no question about it. Forrest Whitaker steals his scene. Even Tom Cruise is, is quite good in it. But any movie that ends with, hey, I'm back. <laughs> no, that's not your best performance. When, you know, honestly, the last line of the movie is, hey, I'm back. I mean, why not just, no, oh, whatever. Okay. Day 49, all fast food and coffee places must give out free breakfast the first Monday of every month. That's going to alleviate a lot of pressure. It really is. Well, what about my local on the corner? No, I mean all the chain ones. I'm talking about McDonald's, Starbucks, Burger King, Wendy's, all that jazz. All the places that Flavor Flav recognizes. I remember a fine episode of when Flavor met Burgit or whatever the name of that 
reality show was, God rest it. Uh, Flavor was dating Birgit Nelson or pretending to Birgit Nielsen at one point. And she took him to a fancy party in Italy. And everyone there was a callous sophisticate. And Flavor showed up with the watch around his neck and the sideways baseball hat. And they put prosciutto on the table. And I'm sure they'd pimped him to do this because I'm sure Flavor's been to a, a soiree before. And Flavor went... Berg, Flav recognizes Burger King, Flavor recognizes McDonald's, but Flav do not recognize prosciutto. And uh, I think it's time that we all recognize prosciutto. And I think you're with me on this, Flav. Uh, that was the one where he would have the Viking hat on and go, Flavor, Flav! It was a very good show. I liked it. It was better than Rock Bus. What was the one with um, Brett Michaels where all the chicks were on the bus? That one wasn't as good. Day 50. Are you going to go all through the way to 100? No, but w- increment by increment. Or as Michael McDonald said, minute by minute by minute, I'll keep holding on. Uh, day 50, white guys banned from late night TV. All right, that's the, that's the Proop administration's first 50 days in office. Moving on. Uh, Jennifer gave me this. How did she give it to you? Well, she emailed it to me. But then later we discussed it. Passage of the 19th Amendment 95 years ago could land suffragette on the $10 bill. I, ex- I apologize for the headline. It's written by the United Press International. But I'm going to give her a byline because I think people deserve a byline. It's Danielle Haynes wrote this for UPI. Um, the 19th Amendment is the amendment that gave women the power to vote in this land. Did it give all women the power to vote? No. If you want to split fucking hairs on it, it gave white privileged women the power to vote. Women of color had to fight and fight and fight and fight to get the chance to vote. The Voting Rights Act, which went down in 1965 and was revoked by the, uh, during the Obama administration by the Supreme Court, or dis, uh, let's not say revoked, um, the teeth were taken out of it. It was defanged. Um, uh, allows people to do stupid things like uh, 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 ask for voter IDs and, and enact all these ridiculous voter ID laws. There is no such thing as voter fraud in this country. We've talked about it before. I saw a statistic the other day on the interweb, one of those great internet meme ones that said more people are hit by lightning than committed voter fraud in the United States. And so let's just go with how big of a chance that is. But in order to control the masses, you have to control the votes. As Stalin said, it's not the voting, it's the people who count the votes. And you want to make sure that not everybody's voting so that people can't vote. In any case, the 19th Amendment finally gave women the right to vote. Women had petitioned for the right to vote since the founding of this country. There was a chance at the beginning of the country that women would be given the right to vote, but that, of course, was quickly quelled. And anytime again, anyone brings up the original intent of the framers of the Constitution, remember the original intent of the framers of the Constitution was to perpetuate slavery and to contain women and to not give anyone rights that wasn't a landowner. So their original intent is shitty and shallow callow and uh, horrible. A statue of Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, and Susan B. Anthony at the Capitol building. There's a photo. The three women were among the most recognized fighters for the women's right to vote. Um, 95 years ago today, the 19th Amendment, uh, or not today, by the time you hear it, it'll be five days from today, uh, last week, let's say, um, was ratified, giving women the right to vote after decades of a decades-long movement. Mm, I, would, I would have written that better. It wasn't decades long. It was hundreds of years long. The movement, um, it was probably more seriously organized for decades. The movement was always there. And by the way, the people that ratified the 19th Amendment were all men. Um, on August 18, 1920, Tennessee became the 36th state to ratify the 19th Amendment, the last state needed to make the women's vote official. One week later, Secretary of State Bainbridge Colby officially signed the amendment, and members of the National Women's Party immediately held a jubilation at their headquarters in D.C. 
the Equal Rights Amendment, which was shot down when I was a teenager, required the same thing. It was an amendment not introduced by the House, but a popular amendment, just like the 19th Amendment was, and it required 36 states in those days, in 1920, to ratify it. It required more, and that's when Phyllis Schafle and all the anti-feminists came to the fore in the 70s and scared the death out of men and uh, women who are allied with men and were frightened for their own position, and that's why the Equal Rights Amendment didn't pass. It was the same kind of amendment that the 19th Amendment was. Several members of the party were present for the ceremony, including Alice Paul, chairwoman of the party. They represented decades of women fighting for the right to vote as early as 1840. Well, I would go further back, but there you are. Women's suffrage in the U.S. is largely thought to have officially begun in 1848 when some of the more well-known members of the movement held the Seneca Falls Convention, which we've talked about on the show before. 300 men and women attended the convention, which was organized in part by Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, and Susan B. Anthony. One of the few female figures to be featured on U.S. currency, Susie B. was on the dollar, that weird gold dollar. And by the way, the other woman that was on the gold dollar was Sacagawea. We keep relegating them to coins and no one likes dollar coins, and especially ones that were the size of quarters. We all like the giant old-time silver dollars that had the Liberty Head on them. Or was it Franklin? Was Franklin on the, the silver dollar? And then um, Kennedy was on the half, as I recall, the Kennedy half dollar. Those were really sexy when I was little. The heft and weight of the half dollar is a very sexy thing. It's, a, it's just big enough to fit in the palm of your hand and had just enough weight to really make you want to skip it across a lake. Uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, Benjamin Franklin gets uh, currency before S Sojourner Truth or, or Elizabeth Cady Stanton or Lucretia Mott because he invented things and was a diplomat. Um, the argument that none of these women were president is ridiculous or that none of them held elective office. They elected themselves to represent for an entire gender and for all uh, visible rights. Uh, they're largely an abolitionist. Sojourner Truth also joined the cause. And by the way, Sojourner Truth had been a, a slave, so she was quite old at the time to vote since she and other women were required to pay taxes. Which brings me to another point. If you're required to pay taxes and the taxes go into a general fund and that's supposed to fund everything in this country like roads and bridges and the giant military industrial complex that uh, reaps all the money and benefits from taxes, shouldn't you have all of the rights? In other words, the right not to be shot. What, 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 what did the clash say in the, the Declaration of Human Rights by Amnesty International? You have the right not to be killed. How about that? Um, uh, Sojourner Truth saw uh, in the 19th century that being asked to pay taxes in one part and by the way abolition hadn't come yet she was a, a freed slave because she lived in a freed state uh, uh, the right to pay taxes uh, in other words if you're 18 uh, for instance I got my first job when I was 15 years old uh, I was uh, an amanuensis to uh, the caliph of Baghdad and uh, uh, we had to draw uh, and do calligraphy and use these colored inks that came out of pot, and I would do Mendy for the kids during the recess and whatnot, and I had to tend to the peacocks as well. I had various uh, uh, royal duties, but one of the things I had to do was pay taxes. Uh, taxes come out of your paycheck even at that young age. Um, my first real job was probably a babysitter, but then I was a paper boy, but then I was a janitor, and I remember I got a $5 bonus for Christmas, a $5 bonus, but out of my fucking... $2 an hour janitor wage, they were taking taxes. But yet at 15, I wasn't allowed to drink. I wasn't allowed to buy cigarettes. I wasn't allowed to smoke marijuana. I mean, if you're a legal taxpayer, shouldn't you have all the rights? Whatever. Here we go. Uh, the four women came to be symbol, along with Paul, Alice Paul, came to be symbols for the broader struggle for women's rights. And as such, are likely to be considered for the first female featured on U.S. paper currency in more than 100 years. 
In June, U.S. Treasury Secretary Jacob Liu announced that in 2020, the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, a historic female will grace the $10 bill. The as-yet unchosen woman would be a champion for our inclusive democracy. Boy, is that an idiotic phrase. What inclusive democracy? Everything we've talked about for the last 10 minutes has proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the one thing that our democracy hasn't ever been is inclusive. Exclusive is what our democracy is. Putting someone on the $10 bill doesn't make it so. It's simply a symbolic act, indicating there's a decent chance the woman could be a suffragette. It's unclear when Lou will announce the female subject of the 10. The first Treasury Secretary, Alexander Hamilton, will remain on the bill in some fashion. Why? Why? Why is it important for Hammy to still be on there? Because he died in a duel? Uh, there's been some speculation thanks to the Women's on 20s campaign. The petition seeks to have former U.S. President Andrew Jackson replaced on the 20 by African-American abolitionist Harriet Tubman. I would call her much more than an abolitionist. I would call her an activist. I would call her a stanchion of what America really stands for. If you want to talk about inclusive democracy, she was also a spy for the Union Army. I mean, there's really nothing Harriet Tubman didn't do except receive a decent stipend from the U.S. government or a place in the Halls of Fame uh, or, or, or a statue in Washington, D.C. Other than those things, she was given every due honor. Uh, organizers of the campaign picked Andrew Jackson for replacement because of his role in Native American relocation policies. That's a very gentle way of saying that he took the Cherokee Nation and f made them move halfway across the country and many of them fucking died on the way. Uh, and then we had to suffer with that fucking song by Paul Revere. They took the whole Indian nation and opposition to the central banking system. He hated the central banking system. For goodness sakes, he hated his vice president. There was quite not much that Andrew liked other than having great hair. The campaign conducted a poll and found Harriet Tubman was the most popular choice. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Another poll conducted recently by Marist found the most Americans want First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt to be on the $10 bill. And uh, Susan B. Anthony received some poll, some votes. Well, I'd like to see any women of any kind on uh, any of those um, denominations. I'm not certain why um, slave, older, slave owners get a precedence over people who've done things that um, uh, relieved people of their horrible burden. Speaking of their horrible burden, we'll be traveling around the world. Um, if you listen to this on Monday, we'll have already been in Edinburgh for a couple of days, and I'll be doing a podcast tonight, baby. Uh, the 23rd, uh, the film club, that'll be done by the time you hear this. Uh, we'll be at the Gilda Balloon. Oh, awesome. Well, if you're listening to me, uh, the 24th, 25th, and 26th, I will be at the Gilda Balloon tonight at the Wine Bar. Uh, you can get tickets at gregproofs.com. You can go to the Gilda Balloon's website at the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, the 26th, which is Wednesday, I'll be at the Edinburgh Book Festival in the afternoon. Um, it, my favorite email I've received this year said to me, um, participants in the Edinburgh Book Festival, be at the author's yurt at five. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm looking for the author's yurt. We're wanted for the death penalty. I'll be careful. You'll be dead. Why is there an author's yurt? Am I going to make yogurt before the show? Am I to herd water buffalo? Am I to rope camels like a Mongol upon the plains? Uh, and then, uh, awesomely, the Greg Proof Film Club will be um, uh, on the 28th. That's We're going to show Young Frankenstein at the film house. We'll have already shown Bullet, um, but you'll, you'll have missed that one. Young Frankenstein, the funniest goddamn movie you'll ever see, uh, or one of them, I guarantee you. Uh, and that'll be 
at the Film House in Edinburgh. You can go on my website and find it. Uh, on the Saturday night, we'll be back in London, uh, the 29th, at the Soho Theater for a late night show. Uh, I think it's a 10 o'clock. I think the tube runs till midnight. You'll be all right. I won't go too long. Um, and I want to thank everyone who came to the last show at the Soho because people gave me stuff that I had for weeks, and I appreciate that. It, ha- it kept me from visiting other people. Uh, on the 5th of uh, September, we'll be at the ABC uh, Books, which is the American Book Center in Amsterdam. And then we're going over to the Treehouse. So there's an, an afternoon event at the Book Center. And then we're going over to the Treehouse. And I don't know what happens at the Treehouse. Uh, I know that, the, as I said last week, the Honeycomb kids are there. But I think this one's more like the Freaky Tree. And I think the people, I, no one's going to be old enough to remember this, but there was a serial called the Freakies. And uh, they were monsters and they lived under a tree and the serial fell off the tree and they lived in Freaky Land. Are you just making this up now? I'm not, and I'm not making this part up either. There was also a candy, which was basically gooey popcorn. We didn't call it that then. You know, now there's caramel corn that comes in every flavor. When I was little, caramel corn was limited in its flavors. You'd make it at home. You would make a popcorn ball, and you put caro syrup on it, and you handed them out to kids on Halloween. And then you weren't supposed to eat them if someone gave you, a stranger gave you a popcorn ball, because they were going to put needles or razor blades in it. Although I don't know anyone who ever died of getting a needle in a fucking popcorn ball or a razor blade. And I was like, I was to my parents, we live in San Carlos. There's no psychopaths in our neighborhood. I deliver newspapers to everyone in the neighborhood. I know everyone in the fucking neighborhood. Who is it you think is going to put a razor blade in a fucking popcorn ball? Uh, In any case, so we didn't have the dazzling variety of camel corn that we have now, which is why America weighed a lot less when I was little. But the point is this. There was a popcorn treat called Screaming Yellow Zonkers. And... It came in a black box with yellow lettering, and the, it, it, it was kind of like uh, the yellow submarine figures uh, from the Beatles movie met uh, 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 Ralph Bakshi, and they lived in this candy box. It was kind of pervy, but it was kind of fun too. Kids really loved them, and all it was was popcorn coated with sugar, but they were wildly yellow. The food coloring on them was insane. Uh, they were bright yellow, and they're called. And I fucking begged for them, and it was like, oh my god, it was like a dollar twenty nine for a box, and they were so expensive. And there was no nutritional value at all. And we didn't get high on nothing. We were just kids. We'd just eat any kind of sugar. Jeff Belton's mother used to get him screaming yellow zonkers. I used to snarf him down at his house. But on the box was all these games and puzzles and fucking zonker land and all this shit. And, like, there was this whole subculture of snacks you were supposed to live in, like the Honeycomb Hideout. If you were at the Honeycomb Hideout, sometimes NFL football players would show up in full uniform. Like, a lot of shit happened at the Honeycomb Hideout. That's why the Honeycomb kids were there. Um, often girls wore Paddington Bear hats, the kind of hats that go up in front with a flower on it and whatnot. You got to wear groovy sunglasses if you lived at the Honeycomb Hideout. And I believe parents keep out, mis- misspelled on the front door of the Honeycomb Hideout. Not keep, no girls keep out. Girls were allowed in the Honeycomb Hideout. It was egalitarian in that regard. Usually girls with long hair and, as I say, a, a turned up hat. I don't remember all the girls that lived at the Honeycomb Hideout. Uh, you'll have to go back to uh, Julio Iglesias for that one. For all the girls who lived at the honeycomb hideout. And then Willie kicks in. All the girls who had screaming yellow zonkers. Who now are completely bonkers. I saw on TV the other day that Willie Nelson had um, a, back, a black belt in karate. And it's like, what did he have to break? Most people break a brick or a board. Did he break like a, a green onion? You know, like or a scallion or something? Because he doesn't seem that physically, you know, hail to me. I mean, nothing against Willie. Bring, on, bring Willie on. I will fucking smoke you down. Not like Toby Keith, that pussy. Toby Keith fell over when Willie got high with him. I'm ready for the Willie Nelson challenge. 
I don't think I'm ready for the Kate Moss challenge. I, years ago, I boldly asserted I was ready for it, which means doing like 30 lines of coke in an hour. I don't think I'm ready for it. Why don't you think you're ready? Because I think after the 28th one, my, I'm, my eyeballs would pop out. But I'm willing to take a chance on the Willie Nelson challenge. What is the Willie Nelson challenge? Well, it's a ride and tie event. What you do is... You start in a Jeep and you light one up. He used to jog every morning and in his sock he would carry a joint. So he would run half of his course and then he would smoke the joint and then run the other half. That's Willie Nelson's fitness program. I have no idea how he fucking graduated with a black belt in karate or how long it took him to fucking throw that punch. <laughs> there you are. We'll be at the ABC Books in Amsterdam and then at the Treehouse. Come to the Amsterdam Tree House. The Pupitone kids are there. That's the fifth. The sixth will be at Tumler, which is also called Comedy Train uh, in Amsterdam. We'll be doing a vodcast uh, on the night or a Geneva cast if you're Dutch. And then uh, uh, Geneva's kind of lethal. I don't know. All the native drinks. We've had Slivovitz in, in, in Prague. We've had Zambuca in Italy. I've had Grappa in, in Italy. We've had, um, uh, 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 what's that one they drink in Spain? You know, every country's got a, uh, well, that, the one they drink in Spain I love where they mix them. Um, soda pop and red wine. They don't call it sangria. I can't remember the bloody name of it. It's like 7-Up and red wine and they put fruit in it. It's fucking good. Um, and then in uh, 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 the Scandinavia we had um, – what's that one? Um, not vodka. That's everywhere. Uh, Aquavit, right? Like, you know, every, you know, when in Rome, right? So, of course, we have all these things wherever we go. In Paris, you have a little pastis, and in uh, London, you have a, an enormous pint of piss-warm lager. <laughs> and in Scotland, a wee dram, right, of like an Isle of Jura or something, a really lovely whiskey. Whiskey that you take the first hit, and you take a little hit sip, and then you take a big And next thing you know, your entire mouth feels like elves have come in with aromatic cigars and lit up your, your esophageal tract. Uh, there's a, 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 you almost cheer up sometimes like a say a Talisker or one of those really peaty, you feel like you smoked a cow, you know, patty or something. They're so intense, but delightful. Uh, and, and so I think in, um, in Holland, it's a Dutch gin, or what the English call it, but they call it, the Dutch call it Jennifer. And I don't know how to describe the taste. It's, a, it's an acquired taste. You have to be sophisticated, I think. Um, and we went to a bar. Well, I'm sure I talked about it the last time. We'll probably talk about it again this time. Where um, uh, sailors came and traded monkeys for bottles of Jennifer. So the, there was carvings of monkeys in the bar. And then there was bottles of Jennifer everywhere. And you were supposed to believe that these bottles of Jennifer, some of them were like 200 years old. I was like, yeah, right. But it was fun anyway. And uh, what was the name of that bar? Teopin? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll probably go back to Teopin. It's in the red light district. Where will I find you, Greg? I'll be la I'll be laboring under a spliff, wandering through the red light district, hopefully finding Jennifer in the crowd and not losing her. Jennifer will have to carry one of those flags, like you see the tourist groups that they carry over their heads, uh, or a selfie stick with a, a, a poop kitten on it. That, that's how I guide myself. September uh, 11th and 12th? That doesn't sound right. I think it's 12th and 13th. Now I have to go to the calendar. Oh, we almost had another Aerosmith hit. Uh, September. Yeah, it's a Friday, Saturday. It is the 11th and 12th. All right. September 11th and 12th, I'll be in Boston at the Boston Comedy Arts Festival. And we're going to do uh, an event somewhere in Cambridge or uh, Harvard for a book event in the daytime. And, uh, you know, people are worried. When I say people, people on my book team. 
They worry that I'm not going to get people at an afternoon event and then get people at an evening event. I think I will because if you have to cross the Charles River, it's like being in Oakland or San Francisco. I can't ask anyone to cross the Charles, right? If you're on one side of it, you're not coming over to the other side to see my nighttime event. I know this for a fact. But if I go over to the other side of the Charles and visit you in the daytime, so I told her I think I could get 30 or 40 people. Maybe I'm being crazy, but you'll know as soon as I know when the book event is. Uh, On the 11th, 12th, the 11th, I'll be... Uh, doing a podcast the 12th i'll be doing an improv show with a lineup of all stars because the boston comedy arts festival features improv heavily and we'll be happy to see all of our boston friends but you shit on boston more than any other place except missouri i have my reasons but i want you to know that the last time i was there i had a really good time um some of the people who came to the club were kind of douchey but uh uh the people of boston were very nice to me i also did something and i don't do very many clever things in my life um I've really only done two clever things ever. One was letting these guys convince me to do a podcast, and I don't remember the other one. But I went to a deli in Boston uh, the day before I flew out of Boston, and I bought an Ita- one of those Italian subs there. And then when I took my shit flight home, I had the fucking sub. And so when they came around with the crappy food, I got a vodka, and I had my fucking sub. And it was a, one of the smartest things I've ever done. Really? That's one of the smartest things you've ever done? Yeah. Well, I think Jeb Bush said it last week when he said the Iraq war turned out to be a good deal for a lot of people. Uh, that's the 11th and 12th of uh, September in Boston. Uh, you can go to Greg Proops. No, I haven't posted the link yet. We're getting that together. Get off my ass. September 20th, we'll be at the LA Pod Fest right here uh, in the Western Hollywood. And um, if, you, uh, t- if you go to www.lapodfest.com, you guys, you, Ryan, you guys have how many podcasts do you have there? Is Pardo doing it too? Doug's doing it. A lot of the special, the special thing group, as we're known to the comics of the area. Uh, Doug Doug Benson's doing um, Doug loves movies, I think, and um, which he hasn't invited me to do. No, I'm joking. Uh, and then I'll be there. And as I said, Jackie Cations does her fabulous show, The Dork Forest. On the 19th, I'll be there to do Jackie's show with her. On the 20th, I'll be there to do my show. However, it's a, a long event that goes on for what, like four or five days? There's hundreds of podcasters, for reals. Everyone that you like, uh, Matt Gorley, Paul Tompkins, it's, it's, uh, it's really a confabulation. Uh, it's when we all come together, it's our company picnic. And um, Jennifer's been to it. We went to the one in Long Beach or Santa Monica where they used to have it. They moved it to, they moved it to the Sofitel uh, in West Hollywood, which I think is hilarious. That way you can go over to the Beverly Center in between and do a little light shopping, whatnot. Uh, there used to be a hard rock there. That's gone. But there's a P.F. Chang's around the corner. Kick it. Uh, <laughs> you can even go over to the Beverly Connection. They're, they put in a, a Saks Fifth Avenue outlets going in there. So you can really live it up on podcast weekend. You think I'm joking. You guys are laughing. And good because it's a comedy show. But two, lots of people come into town to the L.A. Podcast Fest. A pod fest. Uh, when I was there last time, I remember there was people from Iowa and Indiana. They'd flown in simply to spend the whole weekend there. And because they always have it in a hotel, it's a clever thing. You could stay at the Sofitel. And actually, you're in the center of West Hollywood by being in the Sofitel. You can fuck up to Santa Monica Avenue and uh, 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 hit all, all that action on there if you're so inclined. And then um, you can fuck over to Hollywood, which is only 10 minutes from here, really. You can fuck over to Fairfax. Uh, Golden State is there for great burgers. Candor's is there. If you're a dude and you wear a, a baseball hat and you don't fold down the sides, there's about 50 stores on Fairfax for you. Uh, there's every manner of hamburger joint uh, within, I don't know, 10 minutes. Uh, you can even walk from the Sofitel, if you're staying at LA Podfest, down to 3rd Street. And then on 3rd Street, there's all kinds of groovy restaurants and um, 
uh, what's the name of that one where we used to go get margaritas, Jennifer? And at El Carmen. El Carmen is a warm, conducive atmosphere to alcoholism, and it's it's genial to women. Um, I measure bars almost solely by how many women do I see together in couples and threes and fours, like Sex in the City style, to just, just to demean you with your high-peeping voices and your ankles. Uh, and your anklets, I meant. Uh, I think all women have ankles. Um, Greg, what about the women who are paraplegics? I think you're forgetting them. Well, roll your ass over to El Carmen and order a margarita. And they have, uh, I think, 50 or 60 mar- uh, types of tequila on the menu. By the way, this isn't a paid sponsorship thing with El Carmen. We used to just drink there. You can go out and knock and smoke weed. You can't smoke it inside. And um, then they have uh, mediocre Mexican food. But I'm telling you, after four or five fucking tequilas you really don't care the tacos are fine you know what I mean which is the name of my next album actually the name of my next album is in the ballpark but the one after that is the tacos are fine and you could walk to that from the Sofitel and I'm not joking and I'm not saying it I hate when people say oh it's within walking distance and then you go outside and you're like oh my god it's 100 degrees out I'm going to die Uh, I'm not one of those people I remember playing Newcastle years ago in England. It was the winter time, and we were starving to death. And we were at some bar after the show, and um, we go, uh, "We were dying because ch- Newcastle, for some reason, Chinese food is king, especially crispy duck." And uh, we're like, "We're looking for a Chinese place," and they go, "I can't do a Geordie accent, so don't get on my ass, Geordies." Uh, it's down the road. It, well, how far should we should we take our car? Should we take a cab? Oh no, no, no! You can walk down the road. It was snowing out, by the way. Winter in Newcastle in England means women are wearing uh, miniskirts with high heels and no coat. Guys are wearing, like, tank tops with no coat. There's no coat check in the clubs. That's how rough and tough these fuckers are. And I'm, of course, wearing – I've got, like, Superman uh, towel on. I've got, you know, the, uh, my babushka. I've got, I'm, I'm wearing a, 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 a basque, uh, but it's covered with feathers. And uh, I was freezing my ass off. And we walked. And it was fucking 30 minutes walk. And I'm like, don't tell me something's 10 minutes down the road when it's 30 minutes. I would have gotten a fucking... So I'm telling you, if you stay at the Sofitel, you can fucking walk to El Carmen. I don't know about walking back because you're going to be kind of drunk. But if you are, you could stop at Magnolia Bakery or Jones and get a cupcake, whatnot. Um, there's also a fat burger if you're on a budget. The fat burger's two blocks down around the corner from the Beverly Center. I'm just trying to send you to the cheap places as well. I don't want to send you to... I'm not, this isn't Gwyneth's show. I don't, I'm not going to send you for a $900 bowl of quinoa. I mean, you can go to Chichonis if you're going to go show business. You can walk the other way over. You can go to Robertson. There's a couple coffee shops and whatnot. But I'm not going to send you to like fucking place where it's $150 for lunch. You go to Fat Burger. It's like eight bucks, whatever. Give them a dollar. Everyone yells, Fat Tip, and they all and they ring a bell. I'm not kidding. Uh, so uh, if you want to go to the whole thing and you can live stream the fucker, they've got the bandwidth and they're live streaming the entire enchilada. If you go online to www.lapodfest or World Wide Web lapodfest.com and type in the code proops p-r-o-o-p-s um you get a discount for the uh, uh entire thing you can listen to it live streaming if you're not there and then i think there's a bank that you can go to online where they're going to keep it for several weeks afterwards so you can listen to all your favorite podcasts we're very happy to be part of it uh, dave anthony's the one who asked us to do it dave anthony had a podcast called walking in the room does he have a podcast now is he doing one now that's horrible of me to mention him and not know the name of his podcast. We've only known each other for 30 years. Very close friend of mine, but I can't be bothered to look up Dave Anthony's fucking podcast. No, he used to have one with Greg Barron, who I mentioned on the show last week. And, um, of course, does he do one with Will Anderson? 
No, you're thinking of someone else. Well, anyway, Dave's dead funny and a really nice person. And uh, those things notwithstanding, and of course, we're sick Giants fans together. Um, he, I think, is one of the originators. Of the, he is one of the guys who put the podfest together. It was kind of his baby. Um, September 26th, we'll be in Baltimore at the Baltimore Book Festival. There's every likelihood we might be in Washington, D.C. the next day. Don't fucking hold me to this. Many a slip between the, the dollop with Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds is the name of Dave Anthony's podcast, The Dollop. With Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds. Um, I'm sure he'll be doing it there. If you go to worldwidewebllapodfest.com, you will find out all secrets will be revealed. And I'm just going to say something a little fascistic. I know this is terribly unfair and probably not even accurate. But in my opinion, LA dominates the podcast scene. The LA comics do. There's wonderful podcasts from all over the world. There's Comics Comic uh, with Stu Goldsmith is his name from London. Uh, that's a, and that'll be, he does it from Edinburgh. Richard Herring does a wonderful podcast from uh, the UK. Um, there's podcasters from New York. There, there's podcasters from every, uh, everywhere I've ever been. I've done a podcast uh, in Philly. I've done lots of local people's podcasts, Boston. Um, and I try to keep hope alive by doing podcasts in every town I'm in. I even did one in uh, Scottsdale a couple of years ago. Two cats had a podcast out there. But L.A. for some reason, and I don't know if it's just that we got in early on this or what, but I mean, wow, uh, Mark Maron's out here and Adam and Jay Moore and Aisha and Jackie and uh, golly, it's just big. Uh, Baltimore will be there, 27th, hopefully D.C., then the 30th at Second City, Toronto. We're going to do a podcast and a book event. You'll be able to buy books at that. That will be at the John Candy Theater at Second City, Toronto, which is an August place. October 13th, I'll be at Litquake in San Francisco uh, reading the book there. Uh, I don't think we're doing a podcast. I think we're just going to do a little conversational thing. Then we'll be back at the Nerd Melbourne on October 29th um, in Hollywood uh, for a vodcast there with Ryan and all your friends. Then uh, you can join us on the road at Who's Line uh, all through uh, um, – October, we'll be on the road with Ryan Stiles, Joel Murray, and Jeff Davis. And on the 17th of September, excuse me, for our friends in Edmonton, we'll be playing in Alberta somewhere in Edmonton. I think the Civic Center, we've moved from the Cree Casino because I believe the venue is not ready for us. They don't have enough room for my awesome. Thank you for listening to all that. You can write us at familyforgreg at gmail.com, which is how people communicate with us. Um, and... Like that. The t-shirts are still available. I think there's some Kittens McTavish t-shirts in there. The Musso and Frank video is still available if you want to buy that. The book is still available. This is all at gregproops.com. This is an article Jennifer sent me. Oh, golly. It's probably time to wrap. Well, we at least have to start the show. Uh, Jennifer sent me. This is from The Guardian. This is from an article about Lemmy from Motorhead. Now, I'm not a huge Motorhead fan, and I don't like speed metal at all. But Lemmy is awesome. He lives probably a mile or two away from us here at the Porpoise of Fruititude. He lives up Sunset Way near the Rainbow, where he used to drink every night. And Lemmy, up till I think about a year ago, had his health intact and was drinking. I remember I asked once a rock star friend of mine if he could put me in contact with Lemmy's manager because I was doing a talk show at the time. And he did. And this was Lemmy's rider as of six years ago. A bag of Lay's potato chips, a box, of, a carton of Marlboro's, and a bottle of Jack Daniels. He didn't ask for prosciutto. He didn't ask for grapes or a fruit platter or cheese or anything like that. It was uh, Jack Daniels, potato chips, and Marlboros. And I thought, I love you. Um, and uh, I, I assume he'll bring his own methamphetamine and his own, you know, chicks. Or the chicks, you know, just kind of magically appear, I suppose, where Lemmy, Lemmy goes. Uh, Motorhead frontman has changed his lifestyle. He switched from whiskey to vodka in the battle for health. 
As the band released their 22nd studio album, Bad Magic, he explains how 50 years of hard rocking have taken their toll. Uh, the Nazi memorabilia, uh, the black shirt, the black jeans, the legends. He's fed up of being asked about being Jimi Hendrix roadie, being sacked from Hawkwind. Um, it's because they were all on different drugs in Hawkwind. Um, this one's good. There were the myths. The story that circulated school playgrounds in the early 80s that he had an orgy with all of the Nolan sisters backstage at Top of the Pops. The Nolan sisters were this anodyne, you know, kind of, I don't know, white girl, good time pop group, right? Like they're the last people you would think that Lemmy would have an orgy with. Or are they? Uh, uh, one, they can't stop taking speed because his body would collapse without it. And then the author of this article asks him about drugs. And here is his answer. I won't talk about drugs. Um, but we watched a documentary about Lemmy from five years ago, not but a month ago, Jennifer and I. And in it, uh, one of the other rock stars in it said when they met Lemmy, he offered him a reel of speed and a whiskey. And we were all pretty delighted by that. Uh, there are stories about who have encountered him. The member of the British rock band with an equal enthusiasm for chemicals who spent an afternoon nose deep in powders with him at the Rainbow, Rainbow in L.A. And by the way. If you come to L.A. Podfest, it's just a short cab ride over to the Rainbow. You can go to the Rainbow. When you get there, you're going to be like, mm. <laughs> unless you were a headband and you were like Hawkwind. But then the comedy store's there and the improv. There's a million things to do. This is L.A., goddammit. Uh, and then uh, p- uh, playing Tetris, by the way. They did speed all day at the Rainbow and played Tetris. That's how off the chain this fucking afternoon got. I love it when I've been playing for hours. That's when the schwatstickas start appearing, Lemmy is reputed to have said. Uh, Lemmy sits before me, blah, 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 blah. Here we go. Uh, in 2013, he underwent an operation to implant a cardioverter defibrillator into his chest that helps prevent an irregular heartbeat turning into uh, no heartbeat. Afterward, he suffered a hematoma. Earlier this year, Motorhead canceled shows after he had a gastric illness. Four days before we met, uh, when they played Glastonbury, um, he continued to sing. It was a mental block. Da, 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 da. All black uniforms present and correct. He's lost a lot of weight. Um, his hands aren't wholly steady. Um, and he has to walk with a stick. And the reason is, according to Lemmy, quote, my legs are fucked. Uh, and then, nevertheless, he insists, and this is what makes you love Lemmy, apparently, I am still indestructible. <laughs> this is my favorite part of the article and my favorite part of any rock article I have ever read, ever, categorically. He's changed his lifestyle. He's down to a pack of fags a week, and he swapped from Jack and Coke to vodka and orange to help with his diabetes. <laughs> Though his assistant wonders where swapping one 40% spirit topped with sugar to another 40% spirit topped with sugar is going to help. I like orange juice better, he says, so Coca-Cola can fuck off! <laughs> oh my God, that's good. A full bottle of Absolute is put in front of him for the interview, and a full bottle of Jack Daniels is given to me, which seems a bit optimistic. <laughs> giving Lemmy sets an interview limit of 25 minutes, which he'll extend by five minutes if he uh, likes the questions. We get to 33 minutes. Lemmy's approach to music uh, is the roots, and this is what makes him great. Rock and roll sounded like music from another planet. The first time around, we had people like Elvis Little Richard, Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis. All of them people, and they were gone within two years. Chuck Berry was in jail. Um, Jerry Lee's career had been destroyed by the British press because he married his 13-year-old cousin. But as Jerry Lee pointed out, Elvis didn't marry. He was having dalliances with underage girls. But Jerry Lee actually married his 13-year-old cousin, which I guess morally makes him superior. 
Then he ponders the early 60s and offers his submission. And then we got Bobby Rydell and all of them cunts. It took us a couple of years to get rid of them. Then the Beatles showed up. That was all right. <laughs> Lemmy's most enthusiastic talking about records and bands that he loved a long time ago. The Birds, Ronnie Wood's mid-60s freakout band, um, Motorhead, blah, 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 blah. Um, the Who Are Fucked. I don't know why they still bother without John and Keith, you know? They should have broken up in 78. Or Free. This is awesome. Who unfortunately became bad religion. Or was it bad religion? No, bad company. That was a terrible thing. <laughs> oh my God. I was half and half going in, Lemmy says, of the split between being part underground and part hard rock. And then I became this monster. I was really at home with the squat scene because I didn't have to pay rent. We were living in squats in Battersea when we started Motorhead and we lived with Hell's Angels in this flat. They were always around. Um, the chicks have been one of the great boons of being a rock star. You get all these birds fastening themselves upon you and you get a lot of drinks and a lot of presents. So it's pretty good. You get everything for free. I've got money now and I never have to spend it. And out for Lemmy, it hasn't been about the music, but the lifestyle. I didn't really want to be in the lifestyle without the music. And I didn't want to be in the music without the lifestyle, he says. Rock and roll's changed now. Blah, blah, blah. At Motorhead Rumble On, a reminder of rock and roll's primal scream, a noise that his guitar, a bass, and a drum kit can make with all their others. Owners want to do his holler. A wop, babaloo, bop, a bop, bam, boom. Death, he says, is the only thing that can stop them. As long as I can walk the few yards from the back to the front of the stage without a stick, then he laughs wheezily, or even if I do have to use a stick. Um, I thought that was inspiring beyond all measure. There's no question of that. Um, I'm not a big Lemmy fan, uh, the music gives me a fucking headache. I love him more than life itself. When you get diabetes and you have a heart implant and you switch to a pack a week instead of a pack a day and vodka and orange juice instead of fucking Coke and Jack, um, yeah. That's why there needs to be a statue to Aerosmith if I'm president. That doesn't make any sense, Greg. <laughs> There's also going to be a minister for clarity. Yvonne Craig was Batgirl. Yvonne Craig, rather, was Batgirl. Um, she was on a million TV shows. She, on the last season of Batman, they added Yvonne Craig, and she had a motorcycle that had a sidecar on it, and she wore a bat outfit, too. Did she do the Batusi? I think in her leisure hours. She was the daughter of Commissioner Gordon. Um, this article here from the New York Times says, the show's only other prominent female character was the slithery, sexy villain Catwoman, first played by Julie Omar and then by Eartha Kitt. But there were occasional women villains on the show. Um... Uh, she wasn't the only one, but yes, Cat, uh, Batgirl was, they added her to the show to, to pep it up. Uh, and, and she was very cool. Um, one of the reasons I did the Batman series, she says, was so people would attach my, a name to my face before that I'd done a lot of television, but all people would say was, Oh, that's, what's her name? She was also, and this is the part you have to love about Ms. Craig. Excuse me. She was a ballet dancer. She traveled for several years with members of the, with the Ballet Ruse de Monte Carlo as its youngest member. She was on Batman, Dobie Gillis, Six Million Dollar Man, Kojak, Starsky and Hutch, Mod Squad, 77 Sunset Strip, which had the best theme song of all fucking time. It went 77 Sunset Strip. I'm not kidding. Uh, Kojak, I've got that one. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea was a fucking freak out, man. Uh, every week, a giant submarine patrolled the ocean. And shit would happen, like an octopus would attack the Golden Gate Bridge or something, and they would have to fucking quell that shit. And, or like a missile would get fired, and they had a thing called the flying sub, and they'd shoot it out from the bottom of the ocean, and it would leave the water and fly through the air. It had Richard Basehart, who was in um, La Strada by uh, Fellini, 
and David Hedison, who I think might have been the woodenest actor in the history of television, and that's going past the Robert Stack benchmark. <laughs> David Hedison plays Felix in one of the early uh, James Bond movies. David Hedison read his lines like this, and he had really good hair. And Richard uh, Basehart also plays Ishmael in the um, uh, um, 50s version of Moby Dick, the one that John Huston made with uh, Ray Bradbury. Well, he, Ray Bradbury rewrote it. She also appeared in It Happened at the World's Fair with Elvis, which is Kurt Russell's first movie because there's always a baseball connection to everything. How is Kurt Russell a baseball connection? Because the battered bastard to baseball is the story of Kurt Russell's father who bought the, bought the Portland Mavericks. And Kurt Russell wanted to be a professional baseball player. And she's also in Kissing Cousins with Elvis. Do I know of her when Elvis got it together? I don't know. I don't know. They were having an Elvis weekend last weekend, and I was watching some cable. And they were showing Roust about. And the opening scene was these frat guys come into this bar where Elvis was performing to give him shit. And they're all in their 40s. <laughs> but they're supposed to be in college. And that's what the point of every, every Elvis movie is. 40-year-old frat guys. And by the way, Roustabout was from like 64 or 65. There had already been the British invasion and coolness had descended upon America. And Elvis is still wearing a swa- slacks and a V-neck sweater and going, we're going on a Roustabout. Hey, everybody. And like, no. When her Hollywood career ended, she worked as a real estate broker. And then she was on the Nickelodeon cartoon series, Olivia. Uh, well, this one's for Batgirl because she was very, very cool. Um, Julian Bond, uh, the civil rights leader, uh, is swirling in the heavens tonight. By the way, Batgirl isn't swirling in the heavens. She's riding around in the fucking open-air bat cycle, fucking daring you to fucking commit evil, evildoer. Julian Bond uh, is, is spread across the heavens, the length and breadth and width of it, in a vermilion um, oscillating light show. The charismatic figure of the 60s, civil rights movement, lightning rod of the anti-Vietnam War campaign, and a lifelong champion of equal rights, notably as chairman of the NAACP. The Southern Poverty Law Center announced his uh, passing Sunday last. Mr. Bond was one of the original leaders of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which is one of the um, giant uh, entities that helped put together the March for Jobs and Freedom in 1963 that we've talked about on the show before, that Martin Luther King gave the I Have a Dream speech at, that so many stars were at, that Joan Baez was uh, invited to sing at, that the only woman who spoke um, was, uh, uh, oh Christ, I've just blanked on her name. She lived in Paris and she had, Josephine, Josephine Baker spoke in uniform, wore her, wore her honorary, honorary um, army uniform. He was a student at Morehouse in Atlanta. He was the committee's communications officer, uh, director for five years and deftly guided the national news media towards stories of violence and discrimination as the committee challenged legal segregation in the South's public facilities. By the way, I want you to know, this is not a million years ago. He was 75 years old. Um, segregation is a reality. He gradually moved from the militancy of the student group to the uh, establishmentarian NAACP. Along the way, writer, poet, commentator, lecturer, college teacher, persistent opponent of the stubborn remnants of white supremacy. Um, I think you'll find the remnants of white supremacy are as stubborn as they always were, and that remnant or not, they are fully active. You'll find, if you go online... Uh, and do some research. There are thousands of hate groups active in this country and many, many uh, terrorists. They go by different guises and they don't always call themselves terrorists. Sometimes they carry weapons in Ferguson uh, because it's their constitutional right to frightening everyone and fomenting violence. Sometimes, uh, in any case, he served for 20 years in the Georgia General Assembly in conspicuous isolation from white colleagues who saw him as an interloper and a rabble rouser. 
Mr. Bond's wit, cool personality, and youthful face, he was often called dashing, handsome, and urbane, because he was dashing, handsome, and urbane. And he was a beautiful speaker. On the strength of his personality and quick intellect, he moved to the uh, center of the civil rights action in Atlanta, the unofficial capital movement, at the height for the struggle for racial equality in the early 60s. I don't know. Uh, absolutely, uh, it was uh, an amazing time, and it was the height of the struggle for equality. But I think we're in an equal struggle right now, where uh, the results are going to be as startling and as ground-shaking as they were uh, when I was a little child. Um, I think what's happened in the last two years, especially in the last year since Ferguson, uh, has been profound in this country, and I think has focused everybody's attention back on it. Unless, of course, you're Donald Trump, with the problem is fat girls. Moving beyond demonstrations, Mr. Baum became a founder with Morris Dees of the Southern Poverty Law Center, a legal advocacy organization in Montgomery. Mr. Baum was president for eight years. This is the quote I wanted to read you um, by Mr. Dees. With Julian's passing, the country's lost one of its most passionate and eloquent voices for the cause of justice. He advocated not just for African Americans, but for every group, indeed every person, subject to oppression and discrimination because he recognized the common humanity in us all. Now, if you're running for president, say, for instance, and I don't care which candidate you are, that's right, from Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump and Carla Fiorina, from Rick Perry to Ted Cruz, one might ask oneself if that will be your legacy, if you'll be known as someone who fought for all people, or you'll be known as a narrow-minded, bigoted um, uh, idiot who didn't give anything to society but uh, hate speak and fomenting of war. He was an anti-war activist. He uh, fought for peace for his own race and for all the races. Um, and I think that's something we can all aspire to at the very least. Um, when he was elected to the Georgia House of Representatives in 65 with seven other black members, furious white members of the House refused to let him take a seat, accusing him of disloyalty. He was well known because of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee's stand against Vietnam War. That touched off a national drama that ended in 66 when the Supreme Court ordered the State Assembly to seat him, saying it had denied him freedom of speech. I just wanted all you kids to know that that happened. Um, it happened long before I was born. Yeah, but honey, I was a child then. It didn't happen before I was born. This is in my lifetime, and we're speaking together right now. As a lawmaker, he sponsored bills to establish sickle cell anemia testing program, low-interest home loans to low-income Georgians, majority black congressional district in Atlanta is what he helped create. He left the Senate in 86 after six terms. He ran for the United States House. He lost a bitter contest to John Lewis, uh, as you know. Uh, John Lewis is a very famous congressperson from uh, Georgia, a fellow founder of the student committee. The two men, for all their earlier closeness, res uh, represented opposite poles of African-American life in the South. Mr. Lewis was the son of a sharecropper. Mr. Bond was the son of a college president. Mr. Lewis posted on Twitter, we went through a difficult period during our campaign in Congress, but many years ago we emerged even closer. Julian Bond's leadership and spirit will be deeply missed. There's no way to replace someone like Julian Bond. But all we can do is strive in our own way to make sure that people like him and the work they did is recognized and that we understand that now uh, that there is still uh, racism and bigotry in this country and that it has to be fought all the time. Julian Bond's great-grandmother, Jane Bond, was the slave mistress of a Kentucky farmer. Julian's grandfather was one of Jane Bond's sons, was educated at Berea and Oberlin College and became a clergyman. His son, Horace Mann Bond, expected his own son, Julian, to follow in his footsteps, but he was attracted to photojournalism and political activism. 
His father was president of a college. His great-grandmother was a slave mistress. So you can see how things go in this country. At 17, his father became dean of education at Atlanta U. At Morehouse, he plunged into extracurricular activities. Dozens of his friends went to jail during his time with the committee, but he was arrested only once. Mr. Bond uh, at a lunch counter uh, in Greensboro. Um, that we weren't letting black people eat at lunch counters uh, in America in those days. He wrote a book called A Time to Speak, A Time to Act. He wrote poetry, much of it reflecting um, the pain point of view of a repressed minority, and articles for publications as varied as The Nation, Negro Digest, and Playboy. Chairman of the NAACP, um, here we go. This is what the president said. Justice and equality was the mission that spanned his life. Julian Bond helped change this country for the better, and what better way to be remembered than that? Uh, there is no better way. He is uh, flinging across the heavens uh, and, and casting an enormous shadow across all of us. Um, Julian Bond is uh, one of the great Americans. Oh, let's see. I've got a couple of others here. Let's see. We'll skip over that one and we'll move to this one. Uh, and Dr. Suniti Solomon was a pioneering HIV AIDS researcher. She passed away a couple of weeks ago, um, mostly in India. The picture they ran of her fantastically was her with Linda Evangelista, the supermodel, uh, Dr. Suniti Solomon documented the nation's first HIV case before setting up the first voluntary testing center for the disease passed in her home in the southern city of Chennai. When I say in the country, I mean the country of India. She was trained in the UK, the United States, and Australia, and she won a string of awards for her AIDS work. Her research was prompted by reports on HIV in international journals. Um, in a quest to determine whether the virus was spreading in India, her postgraduate student Nirmala and her identified a female sex workers lodged at the government home on Kuchri Road in Mylapore. Uh, among the first six cases was a 13-year-old girl who had been forced into the sex trade after being kidnapped. She was the first girl we tested that I spoke to, and she changed me. That was what Dr. Solomon said. Um, she did uh, an enormous amount of work, and India is a much better place because of uh, her. Dr. Solomon is swirling in all uh, invocations and all uh, incarnations in the night sky. Colleen Gray was a, a film noir. Uh, they call her in the New York Times here, Naif. I love that. Uh, Colleen Gray uh, was in um, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing and uh, Tyron Powers' Nightmare Alley. She's also in the awesome Victor Mature movie, Kiss of Death. Uh, she plays the good girl in all the movies. She's not the femme fatale. And it really rubbed her the wrong way. She always wanted to play the bad guy. Kiss of Death is Richard Woodmark's uh, first movie, and he wears a black shirt. As I've indicated in the old movies, black shirt means bad guy. And uh, he ties up Victor Mature's mother with an electrical cord in her wheelchair and pushes her down a staircase <laughs> and goes, <laughs> and you can bet that Frank Gorshin and the entire Batman series hung off of Richard Woodmark's skull-like. He's one of the meanest bad guys in all of movie history. Uh, she's in uh, Red River. Uh, she plays... Um, uh, John, Rock, uh, John Wayne's uh, sweetheart, of course. Uh, Montgomery Cliff's girlfriend in the movie is, um, oh my God, I've just forgotten her name. Joanna, Joanna. Oh. She's the one who smokes and drinks in the movie. Colleen Gray is, of course, John Wayne's um, uh, sweetheart in the picture. In The Killing, she's Sterling Hayden's girlfriend. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the Killing is a great caper film. Jim Thompson, uh, the great pulp writer, wrote the screenplay to The Killing. He wrote two Kubrick films, Paths of Glory, which is an astounding anti-war film, and The Killing, which is a tremendous caper film that has Vince Edwards, Elisha Cook Jr., uh, Colleen Gray, and then who plays the, uh, the other woman, the film Patel? Joe Andrew. Thank you. Joe Andrew's in um, Red River. Thank you very much, Ryan. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, 
uh, that, uh, there's triple crosses, double crosses in the killing. It's really good. Um, let's see here. Dor- uh, Colleen Gray. This is the part I wanted to get to. She she was uh, uh, in B movies <laughs> later in the 50s, including fantastically The Leech Woman of 1960. She was also in 77 Sunset Strip. She was a conservative Christian. You know what? Do what you like, Colleen. I'm not going to put her down, but this is the best part, and this is what I wanted to read you. The author of Dark City Dames, Mr. Muller, interviewed Ms. Gray. Dark City Dames is a book about film noir women like Jane Greer, like um, – oh, golly, I'm forgetting the name of the one that was in Detour and the killing um, – Marie Windsor and whatnot. Uh, is Marie Windsor also in Narrow Margin? Yeah, uh, which are all tremendous. Uh, and then we were watching uh, last night – uh, uh, the Whirlpool by Otto Preminger, and then um, there's the earlier uh, film noir with Victor Mature with that. that um, I, wake I wake up screaming, which have the fabulous. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, the fabulous Gene uh, uh, Turney in both of those. But Colleen Gray was a little lower rung than Gene Turney, and she always played the wife or the girlfriend. This guy asked her at her home. He mentioned he'd seen her play a bad guy in Perry Mason, a, a bad character, and she lit up. Did you believe me as a nasty person? I'm so happy. Colleen Gray smoking a cigarette up in the sky, drinking a whiskey with Victor Mature. Uh, I think that's about enough here. I got a couple of ball players in here, but we can get to ball players any old time. Uh, uh, you know, that's what happens when bodies start slapping. Uh, one quick thing, and then we'll go, and I'll let you all fuck off into this good night, and thank you for your kind attention tonight. Uh, Diane Humatiwa, confirmed to the federal bench, makes history. This is from an, uh, an Indian publication. And if I can find the name of it, I'll die. There it is. It's Indian Country Today uh, is the name of the publication. It's online at Indian Country Today, me, Diane Network.com. Um, oh, that's because they put her. That's the logo for this. It's Indian Country Today. Okay, let's not get too crazy. I made it more complicated than it was. Um, it's a news service uh, for American Indians. The Senate voted unanimously, and this is in May, to confirm Diane Hematewa to become a judge for the U.S. District Court for Arizona, making her the first Native American woman federal judge in U.S. history. And the third Native American ever to hold such a position. Now, when we were talking earlier about the 19th Amendment and women's right to vote, do you think American Indian women were given their suffrage in the same way uh, that the other women were? No, obviously. If this is the first woman federal judge in U.S. history, and we're in the year 2015. And I think you'll find that American Indians were here long before white people. The final vote was 96-0 in favor of Humatua, a citizen of the Hopi tribe who previously worked as a U.S. attorney in Arizona under the George W. Bush administration, as well as an appellate court judge for the Hopi tribe and a special counsel and professor at ASU. She was nominated by Obama in 2013. This Congress has fucked around so hard on every single Obama appointment that it took two years for her to get confirmed. Native Americans have long been pushing for increased representation on the federal bench, especially in regions of the country that see high numbers of tribal and Indian-focused legal cases. Let's hope Diane's confirmation is the start of a a slew of Native American federal judges, said Chris Stearns, who's a Navajo, previously served as counsel to the House Natural Resources Committee. There's still a massive lack of representation of Indian judges in the federal court. Remember, if you elect me as your president, there will be a cabinet member, a cabinet official for Native American rights or Indian rights. On Himatiwa's confirmation, the National Congress of American Indians, the NCAI, issued a statement saying she's impeccably qualified. They greatly appreciate the efforts of the president and the Senate in achieving this historic confirmation. There are many qualified, talented people like Diane Humatewa in Indian country who are able and willing to serve. Yeah, obviously. 
there are always many people able and willing uh, that are kept out by their race, their gender, their um, sexual identity. Bert Brennenberg, executive director of the nonprofit Justice at Stake organization, said uh, a statement, the interests of justice are best served when judges reflect the broader society. I haven't found that. I thought that when the Supreme Court was all old, ugly white guys, that they passed a lot of great things, like the Dred Scott decision. You know, golly. Uh, Senator John Tester, Democrat, uh, Montana, chairman of the Senate Committee on Indian Affairs, also applauded the confirmation. She's an inspiration to Native people, especially Native women across Indian country. Um, Senator Heidi Heitkamp, a Democrat from North Dakota, long overdue. At the first Native American woman to serve as federal judge, I have no doubt she will hold the court to its highest standards. Two of Humatiwa's main champions have been John McCain and Jeff Flake, both Republicans from Arizona. Diane Humatiwa. As an impressive legal background, ranging from work as a prosecutor, McCain said in a Senate floor statement, and um, Flake uh, is the the senator of what well, he's the other senator from Arizona now since Gabrielle Giffords got shot, but he's from Sholo, Arizona, uh, Mountain Country, Central uh, West Central or East Central Arizona, where my family uh, lived for a long time. I was originally born in Phoenix. Uh, so there's always an Arizona connection as well as a baseball connection to everything. And we've met uh, Senator Flake, and he's a very intelligent man, a little right wing for my taste, but then isn't ever a Republican. In any case, we congratulate uh, Diane Hematewa. I think it's a, a wonderful moment in American history to go on on to have an American Indian woman appointed to the federal bench. And let's hope that in the next administration, uh, we can see an American Indian appointed to the national bench and to become a Supreme Court justice and quit pretending that they have no voice in this country. Until then, I will see you in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Festival. You will find me at the hamburger stand near the Purple Utter Belly. It's across the way from the bar there. That's where I'll be a good deal of the time. If you don't see me there, I'll be at the Roast Pig uh, Pork Sandwich Stand, which is on the other side near that weird enchanted forest that's next to the Gilded Balloon on Taviot Square. If I'm not there, I'll be across the street at the Japanese, across from Taviot Square where the uh, post box and the rubbish bin are. And if I'm not there... Uh, I'll probably be uh, uh, at a dazzling different variety of restaurants there. Don't hesitate to come up and fucking say hi to me unless I'm eating, in which case don't get near me or I'll bite your fucking finger off. This is Greg Proops. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. I wish you nothing but love. May every bell that rings you be a cool public bell. May every page that turns you be such a page. You have to buy bars. Make sure they are buried.